0: Thank <laughs> you.
1: We are back in the studio today. Today I'm joined by Jace Pollard and Henry Elhoffen, who's always with me. And it's going to be really fun. We're going to be talking about women's basketball, bowling, and men's basketball. And we're going to start with men's basketball. On Saturday, the Commodores won their first SEC game of the season. They beat Missouri. And I was saying in my column, I really don't think they have a chance of winning an SEC game all season. So it was impressive to get a win. But I do think... Like, it was a win against a really, really, really bad team, and I don't think the Commodores win a game the rest of the way. What do, what do you all think, Jason, Henry? Do you think the Commodores have any shot of winning an SEC game down the stretch? Well, we are no longer last in the SEC.
2: Missouri has taken that spot from us now. We are now 13th in the SEC, and as you said, it was not a fantastic win. Missouri is equally bad as Vanderbilt. Um, but, you know, it did, it did show some signs of improvement, I suppose, Um you know, Jason Rivera Torres, a star for Vanderbilt this year, didn't play really at all the entire games because of, you know, flu like symptoms, apparently. And uh, the Commodore's were able to get production out of Tyron Lawrence, Ezra Magnon, and uh, get out, you know, eke out a, a victory over Missouri, which wasn't bad.
0: Yeah, I think I have a reputation as a serial doubter of the stackhouse regime of Vanderbilt men's basketball, but I actually don't think this is the last win. I mean, okay, I think so. How many games do we have remaining?
1: Let's check. 10 games. There
0: are 10 remaining games.
1: That's not including SEC tournament. Not either.
0: including SEC tournament, but looking at them, it's Kentucky loss, South Carolina loss, A and M not great this year, but probably lost. Tennessee loss, Georgia at home. Georgia's not amazing. So winnable, better record, but winnable. You get Florida on the road, probably not winning that. But then you go at Arkansas, who's five hundred right now. I like that played. game. Yeah, he's yeah, played agree. terribly. We beat them there two years ago, uh, in Bud Walton. They have been beaten by a record amount by Auburn this year. About what was like a thirty-point game that they lost there. Uh, and then after that, we get LSU at home, at Kentucky, and then Florida at home. So I think the Arkansas and LSU games in particular are winnable. And Stackhouse teams do tend to get better over the second half of the season, uh, as evidenced by last season in particular. So I don't think this will be the only win at this point, but I doubt the number is any higher than three. And obviously in year five of a tenure at a power conference school, that is not acceptable.
1: So And, and no NCA tournament appearances. I think the Vanderbilt community – has seen enough from Stackhouse. The only people that I think want to see more of Jerry Stackhouse is Candace Lee and co. Cause, and this is the case if he ends up staying at Vanderbilt. And it seems like there has been no inkling that he will be fired after Vanderbilt. I mean, after the season. Just the, ba- the way he's been talking at pressers and saying, like, we're really here for the future and all that. And I just wonder, is there any way that Stackhouse stays? Yeah, it was interesting.
2: I Candace Lee was actually in the student section before the Missouri game on Saturday. And she was talking to a bunch of the students, and, and uh, I think one student asked her like, "Oh, like, do you think Stack is going to get fired after this, after uh, after this season?" Bold question, I know. And uh, I think her exact answer was, "I'll only fire a coach if I don't like what he's building." So that
1: that means no.
0: I disagree. What is what else is she supposed to say? Like, what else is Stack supposed to say? pressers yeah. except what he's saying. What el- like Candace is not going to come out and tell us that she's going to fire somebody. You're not going to have a lame duck coach. That's so true. If you're not going to fire him till the end of the season, then you're going to show support up and until the point when you fire him. I think it's just pretty standard, specifically for like college sports. Like I know yeah. professional, it's a little bit different, but I thought it was a Lakers. very
2: I thought it was a very like get out of the question sort of answer. It wasn't like at all telling, but. I mean it, it does perhaps show that, you know, Stackhouse could be here for another year. We'll we'll see.
1: Yeah, and a lot of people have been saying that, oh, why don't you fire Jerry Stackhouse now? With college basketball, there's no point of firing a coach midseason, in my opinion, unless it's like a crisp beard when there's a where there's a case going on, like with Texas last year. With this case, the Commodore's all their assistants, it's still Jerry Stackhouse's offense. It's for me, it's it's the offense and the lack of plays that, that really are bothering me in addition to You know, his M.O., I don't think the reason people want him to leave is his M.O. I think it's the product on the court, obviously. Well,
0: To me, it's a question of the difference is going to be every year now, everybody can hit the transfer portal. Anybody can transfer out at this point. Anybody can transfer in. Like there's NCAA regulations, but they're not really getting enforced at this point. So if you think you're going to lose everybody if you fire them, then it doesn't matter when you fire them. But if you think you have a chance at keeping specifically Rivera-Torres, Then I want him fired now as opposed to in a few months so we have more time to pitch Rivera Torres on staying here as opposed to going elsewhere, which he's very liable to do. So if we think we have any shot of keeping people after Stackhouse gets, you know, X, if he gets X out of the job, then I would prefer that we do it sooner rather than later so at least we have more so like a strategy and we're not scrambling at the last second to try to keep the couple of people that we still want and to try to get new people in before that next coach comes in. And I mean, at a minimum, if they're thinking about doing it, they probably have a couple candidates circled as well. So I imagine they have some idea of the direction to go. But still, I, I would rather see it now just so we can manage the transfer portal exodus right now as opposed to in a few months.
2: Yeah, this offseason is going to be killer for for you know whoever's in charge of this team. I think so many players are going to leave. And it's going to be really tough to to keep players like Jason Rivera Torres. A lot of these freshmen, you think they get more minutes. Yeah, you know other Power Five schools. Um, so you know, if Stack does get fired, whoever takes his place will have to hit the portal hard, uh, recruit kids
1: out of high school that that are that are top talents that want to come to Vanderbilt. I also look at a guy like Isaiah West. That's not a guarantee he stays at Vanderbilt. I mean, the Commodores do have a lot of NIL money. I think compared to the previous years, but I am assuming it's nothing like their SEC counterparts. So they really need to. To pitch a lot of money into JRT's basket for him to stay. Yeah. You gotta give, you know, JRT the same NIL that
2: Tyron Lawrence has this year, and you just hope he returns with it with a sophomore jump and he he becomes that
1: star playmaker on Vanderbilt's roster. The Commodores now will be playing the Kentucky Wildcats on Tuesday night. This is a game that is just built for disaster. No one thinks the Commodores are gonna win. They're actually Underdogs by less than 10 points, which I thought was a surprise. And I think if Las Vegas is making a bad line, but I guess they see the Commodores at home as not being blown out. Do you guys think the Commodores have any chance at winning this game?
2: Well, it's going to be a lot of U.K. fans. I'll tell you that right now. It's um, We saw the Tennessee game. It was about 90% UT fans. And uh, it honestly is like an away game for the Vanderbilt players. I mean, when so many Kentucky fans come and travel to Nashville, um, for the place that it is, it, it's going to be tough to play in that environment. And I think while we came off the win on Saturday against Missouri, which is helpful tonight, Kentucky also came off a devastating loss to Tennessee at Rupp Arena this past weekend. They're going to be playing with fire. They're going to want to win this game. You know, beat Vanderbilt by by thirty because they just need to get get their get their revenge and and uh, you know recover from this Tennessee loss over the weekend.
0: So the thing about Kentucky is. They just they can't defend they cannot stop a nosebleed right now they've let up more than 90 points and i think four of their last five games or something ridiculous like that and if you look at the broader trends in men's college basketball this year there are a record number of ranked teams going on the road to unranked teams and then losing to those teams i don't know if like that trend holds up in this case because is as you guys have said is this really a road game if most of the fans there are your fans even if you have to travel um so i I, obviously i don't think better wins this game I think they could keep it decently close, and it's just going to be contingent upon how many points they can score, which I don't have a lot of confidence in because it's not like they run a lot of set offenses, and it's just kind of my my turn, your turn there. Um, but I, I think they could keep it decently close. It's just how much can they score, and Kentucky's allowing anybody to score whatever they want recently. So I think it's it's possible to keep it within like 10, 10 half ish
2: Yeah, I think Tyron Lawrence, Ezra Menya need to play well tonight. I think... If if Ezra can facilitate this offense and Tyron can be that spark that's getting you buckets around the rim and shooting well from beyond the arc, it's a recipe for success. And I think the other team, like the rest of the team, has to has to shoot well, right? There have been several times this year in games where we, you know, the Commodores have shot under thirty percent from three, which just is not high enough to win you games when you have no inside presence. But now Lubin is is six nine and he's going up against seven footers in the
1: SEC. So if you're not going to have size in the, on the inside, you got to shoot well. Look at Carter Lang. You look at J.Q. Roberts. These guys aren't the answers. These guys are bench warmers on a team like Kentucky. So like you said, right, you need to be able to shoot from behind the arc. Have to. Look at a JRT. Maybe Evan Taylor can come from come from the woodworks and actually have a good night, right? Because he's been, I think, the biggest disappointment on the entire roster, Evan Taylor. They, they brought yeah. him to be a 3-and-D guy. He's not brought anything. They thought they thought he'd be Miles C's replacement. Really nothing. So Kentucky lost to Vanderbilt in their past two meetings. Vandy beat them in the SEC tournament and they beat them when they were 23rd on March 1st last year. Jordan Wright had a really nice game. Before that, Vandy had not beaten Kentucky since 2016. Well, I think this could be the start for from another for another really, really strong Kentucky run against Vanderbilt because I know we're saying Kentucky's defense is nothing special. I know we're saying that the Commodores need to be shooting really well. They still are so much better on roster, and they're so much better coached than the Vanderbilt Commodores, and it's going to be – Fun to watch tonight.
0: I want to throw something out there that's just tangentially related. It's it's Vanderbilt basketball related. Have y'all seen Malik Diaz's stats this year? Oh it's my insane. god, he he's drop, dropping like, like twenty five points a game. He's a start. He's starting. Yeah, he's dropping like it's like seventeen or twenty or something like that. Like he looks really but good. But he's playing yes, worse he opponents. Is playing at Belmont, he's playing worse opponents. Um, but like he's he looks so much better than he did last year, and he looks so much more comfortable than he did last year.
1: Seventeen point six him, points yeah. a game. To me, that's really what the think That's
0: a reflection of if you don't run set plays, then only your guards are going to look good. And we don't run set plays. And we I, just let our guards do whatever they want.
2: I think that's on Stackhouse as well. Malik is clearly a talent, and he's showing it at Belmont. And why was he not getting you know the minutes he deserved last year? You know, it might have been a, a freshman to sophomore jump. He's obviously playing lesser competition at Belmont, but still, like I think there's plenty of freshmen on this team right now. That should probably get more playing time. We got to start playing for the future at this point, in my opinion. You got to play the JQ Roberts, the Carter Langs, the Jason Rivera
1: Torreses, and uh, get them some minutes on the floor. Get them ready for next season if you can keep them. Another reason, I mean, you look at a team like Mississippi State. They are really, really physical in their power forward and center. If you're Jerry Stack, if you if you still have Jerry Stackhouse as your head coach, how if you're a really good center or forward from the transfer portal, why would you want to go to this offense, which is so guard related, kind of like Jay said? I think that's another point for Vanderbilt to understand that I think Candace needs to understand when looking at different coaches potentially in the offseason. Yeah. Let's transition to the women's team. Shea Ralph and co. lost their fourth consecutive game last night at the hands of a really, really co- collapse, right? They, they were beating Alabama. They were, I think, they had a six point cushion going into the fourth quarter. They were up by around 10 at halftime, and number three from Alabama really turned the tide and took over. We were talking about it last night, Henry and I, just the Commodores weren't there defensively. Sasha Washington being only six two, it always ends up plaguing them when they can't be shooting. But defensively, I was really disappointed. Jace, what do you think went, went wrong in the collapse um, on Monday night?
0: Yeah, so you look at the difference between those two halves, and I think Vanderbilt scored about the same. The difference is that Alabama just scored a lot more in the second half than they did in the first um and yeah number three on alabama barker was awesome. 50 to she 33 finished, in the second half. yeah 50 to 33 barker finished with like 24 or something like that and it always seemed to be at just super timely moments and i think something that's interesting that i've kept note of as i've covered a couple of these women's basketball games in the last couple of weeks as we've gotten into good sec opponents is that they're running a lot less of that trap that you saw at the beginning of the year and I think there's good reason for that. The reason being that the players that Vanderbilt has are very long and in some cases athletic, but they're not very laterally quick. So they can get into passing lanes and they can disrupt them. But if you have somebody who can pass out of the trap, then you have a two on one situation where you have to run back and you have to close out. And Vanderbilt just is not fast enough with this roster construction to close out like that. And so I would guess that that's kind of why Shay Ralph has gone away from that as they've played better opponents um, but like the inability to get back is something that almost cost them in the non-con a couple of times like the Fairfield game was way closer than it probably should have been considering the opponent was Fairfield, uh, but it was because they couldn't close out and they couldn't get around like that and so be- because of that issue they're not playing the trap which was their identity for the entirety of the non-con like if you talked about what is Vanderbilt as a team it is a defensively let's say like defensive first team um, that runs a unique style of defense and now we don't run that anymore. And so we have a lot of people who we're now basically just playing one-on-one defense and we do a little bit of help, especially if like Passat's defi- or the person that Passat is guarding gets the ball, then we do a little bit of help and whatnot because um, she can't really stay in front as well as some of the other people that we'd like to. Um, but it, really it does seem that the team has lost its identity a bit in transferring from that because it's, yeah, it's a lot of people that are doing one-on-one defense. Jordan Cambridge is still awesome. Like, Cambridge is great defensively, but she got in foul trouble yesterday, and she fouled out with yep. like, several yeah, minutes left did. in the game. <laughs> uh, that's why you saw so many Bello a chance minutes. Now, I that's another thing I want to talk about. There are
1: so many players. Yeah, There's a play lot of Bello
0: a chance minutes when I don't think so they're needed to be a chance minutes. Specifically, I think Makarai could have come in and been there. And, like, also if chance is going to be in, then she has to be the primary person on ball because if she's off ball, she's not contributing anything on offense, and her defense is also an off ball or anything. So if you're gonna have her out there, you have to have her initiating stuff. I was kind of confused by the amount of that. I think it's probably just because she played so many minutes last year, so Ralph trusts her. But like,
1: let me just yeah. give everyone context on who she is as a player. She's if you watch the Miami Heat, she's like the Udonis Haslam, right? She's the guy. She's the guy. She's the woman that is on the locker room. She might not be a. No, she is a veteran. My comp is Facundo Campazo, who used to play for the Nuggets. Argentine <laughs> okay. legend. That's exactly who she so, is. So, so the point, Jason, and I are trying to make is she's that locker room spark. She's the person. If you're watching practice everyone loves her she's like kind of the class clown everyone she's the popular person on the team but she's not the best player in fact skill wise she's probably the worst player on the team
0: Hey, bro i'm not trying to get, i'm not, try,
1: I'm not one trying i'm not trying to dox her about this bro. maybe, maybe I'm she's not, not trying to worst. get okay. out of case about okay. this she is I'm the way to, the way to her. categorize her, her is
0: her. she is the first one off the bench i think that is the fair way to categorize her as yeah player.
1: she's the first one off the bench and like if you watch anyone coming out on timeouts or anything like that she's always clapping the team she's a morale booster but she shouldn't be in the game late in the game when you're trying to come back from a three, five point deficit because she can't take over a game like a Makarok could from behind the arc. Yeah, yeah, and I, a six
0: point. Yeah,
1: yeah, I agree. Like, Bella Chance shouldn't be getting considerable
2: minutes in a fourth quarter game in which you are playing it unbelievably close. And uh, Jordan Cambridge obviously fouled out in the fourth quarter. Huge loss for Vanderbilt, but there's got to be better options than Bella Chance. And don't get me wrong, I love her energy. I love how she's kind of built this team around her and. and And, you know, provided such a spark when she comes in. But that's just not the person you need to play late in the fourth quarter.
0: Yeah, I think especially it became evident when you got to about two minutes left in the game and the team was down six. So, like, more than likely you're not getting any stops, you got to hit threes. And really our only amazing three-point shooter out there was Passat, who had an on-and-off game, as most of the games are on-and-off. But, like, that's a situation in which I think you want Makarot out there because that gives you a second person that can shoot threes, that's still long, and can play defense, et cetera. So I would have preferred to see Makarot there, but... Shane Ralph knows a lot more about basketball than, than I do. Yes. Well, do so, yeah. I don't That's think right. it was a
1: basketball decision. I think it was a point that uh, not enough people were playing tough defense. She mentioned that in her press conference. And she was like, I might not be playing the best player on the team, but I'm playing someone that follows my directions. So,
2: obviously, another collapse in the second half this this season. We saw this in the Missouri game that they lost by three earlier this season, um, and and just an ability to finish out games is a part of basketball, right? You have to be able to get in the fourth quarter, finish out a game, win by 10 points. And I don't think the Commodores have really shown that this year. And I think that's what they need to work on going into their future SC games and, and hopefully the postseason is just finishing out games, being able to keep up the defensive intensity for a full 40 minutes.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And you talk about defensive in- intensity for 40 minutes. What better test will, will that be than Thursday against the LSU Tigers? A really physical team. Won the national championship last year, I believe. And their team, it's going to be in Nashville. There will be a lot of LSU fans again, probably. I really think Henry Vandy needs to just be as physical as possible. And I'm sure Shea Ralph is going in on these girls all day in practice today and tomorrow.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's its the last like big test if you look at the schedule. Uh, the teams that are left after that are nowhere near the quality of some of the ones we played. It's a lot of the lower tier SEC teams. And so, if Vanderbilt wants to go into the SEC tournament with a signature win in the regular season, LSU is really the last opportunity to get that. Because right now, the best win that they have is Mississippi State or on the road. Auburn, yeah, yeah or, or Auburn. At, that, that was a home, right? I want to say. Uh, and so, it's probably one of those two. And those are two teams that are like tournament consideration, but not super high. I, I don't know if y'all saw, but I think it's CBS Sports that does the, the projections. And their most recent one had Vanderbilt as the first team in the last four in. So the fourth to last team uh, in the tournament field. And which, you know, seems right, still has Vanderbilt in the tournament field. But I think that's reflective of the fact that there's not just like a signature win to hang your hat on. There's just a couple of wins that are that are quite good and that are super impressive, especially relative to where this team was last year. But there's not that one that you look at. Like Shea Rouse's first year, the win against Florida, who was ranked like 15th at the time, like, that was the big win to hang your hat on. You don't really have that this year. And so if they could get that against LSU, this is going to be the last regular season chance to get that. We'll see what the SEC tournament looks like. But big game. And as,
2: as you said, I think they need that signature win this year, which they haven't gotten yet. And, uh, I mean, I hate to bring up the bubble, right? We're so early in February. It, we're, we're, not that, we're not that close to this. But, like, the more games they lose in SEC play, they're they're gonna start to slip a little bit, and, I, and I'm a little concerned about that. When they were three and zero in SEC play and 17 and one, I was like, okay, they gotta win a few more SEC games, then they're a lock. But now I'm going and getting, you know, in- increasingly concerned that they don't have the, the strength of schedule and the uh, and the wins to really get into the NCAA tournament at this point. Absolutely, and to add to that, I
1: think right now they're first four in right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. actually,
2: yeah. both Alabama and Vanderbilt. Were First four in mm-hmm. last night,
1: so, so they're right on the cusp. Cusp, cusp. Sorry. <laughs> first, <laughs> and, and and what the Commodores need to do is, I think, b- losing by ten versus forty, the NCAA does count those type of losses and be competitive against LSU and then go on a win streak going into March and then you are competing to make your first NCAA tournament since Jay Ralph has been coach. The
0: the other problem with them being on the bubble that would make me cautious is that this is a team that was continually disrespected by the media this year. So preseason SEC poll picked last. Uh, and then you know over the course of the season, as they got to the point of being what, like 14, 15, and one at one point, they still weren't ranked, right? Even when they picked up wins against other teams that were borderline ranked, um, that were also in kind of like that 26 to 30 spot based on the polls, they still didn't move up to the top 25. The highest they got was like 26, 27th. So even with all those wins before they had any of the the quality losses, which they are, I don't think any of these are bad losses, they still weren't getting a lot of respect, um, you know, from the AP and from the media. And so because of that, they might need to overcompensate in some ways by, you know, winning a game like this or the remaining game against Tennessee, which are definitely the two best games left.
2: Yeah, and the net ranking, right, or the NET ranking, whatever you want to call it, doesn't jump off the page. I think they're in the fifties now. Um, they really gotta get that up to be a, a lock into this tournament. I mean, you don't wanna be a bubble team early March, just hoping that you make it. You have to do well in the SEC tournament. It would be nice to kind of go into the SEC tournament knowing that that you're going to be one of those those 68 four teams, whatever,
1: um, in the NCAA tournament. Absolutely, women's basketball. There is exciting stuff. I know they've lost four straight games. Likely going to be five, but don't don't be surprised to see the Commodores rack off some wins in late February. Let's transition to bowling, where Jace is a savant in. But they've really been struggling, Jace, right? They lose. They become eighth place in the Prairie View Invitational, eighth place at the Northeast Classic. And you look at this team last year, and they might have not started off really, really strong, but boy, did they show their, their, their footing by the time last year, this time last year, right? And they dominated in Las Vegas. Just, Jace, you've told us about that experience, but now what is this team doing differently now than it did last year where they're just in such a slump?
0: Yeah, I think that's a, char- that's a fair characterization. Last year's team was a team that definitely looked better at this point in the season than it did to begin the season and in the three or four fall tournaments that they play every year. And obviously this is a team that looked really strong in the fall, that started the season ranked number one, uh, that transitioned to rank number two by the time we got to the, sp- the spring slated tournament, so three or four tournaments in, um, but it's definitely faltered. So they had three tournaments right after you know, we all came back from break, um, back to back to back. And right before the first of those tournaments, there were also players who competed in the Junior Team USA trials, and so because of that, these are players who—and this is not unique to Vanderbilt—so I don't think that this is the ultimate answer. This is just among the many reasons why you're seeing the slump. Is that these are players who have played four tournaments in some—in some cases, four tournaments in three weeks. <laughs> That's incredibly hard to do uh, at a bowling competition. You're if like you're consistently playing, you're playing a lot because you have you know, five games Friday, five games Saturday, and then another usually, like, three games on Sunday. Can, can you just matches. explain
1: Can you explain to the listeners what it means? Like, do you get sore? Why is playing so many games so hard for the mental? Like, you know, in basketball, you might be sore. Your legs might be sore. But in bowling, what is it that makes it where you need, like, a fresh set of I mean, eyes or something? You no, know, like,
0: like, leg or arm or anything. I mean, like, baseball, you can't have a pitcher out there for too long. Yeah, and Like, mm-hmm. the motion's not yeah. analogous. Like, the motion, I think, in bowling has more to do with, like, legs and whatnot, but like, that's still strain that you're putting on your body. And if you're doing that for like four consecutive weekends, especially after you've had like a month off, because that's the other thing about the bowling schedule is that you have like three tournaments in the fall, then you have like a full break before you get to this point. So if you're going from like a full month, month and a half off of just bowling and practice to having to do now practice and this, that is considerable, I guess, you know, fatigue that's starting to set in. And also like, these are Vanderbilt students who have to deal with Vanderbilt classes that are starting up. And so like, with the snow that we had here in Nashville, like there were some players who went to all of one class in the first two weeks of being back. So it's like also just hard to adjust to, the, you know, the school requirements and everything. Um, so that's that's one argument that's been put forth. Um, and, you know, and, and you can read this in the recap of the most recent tournament. The head coach also thinks that part of the issue is just like a lack of competitiveness in some of the recent tournaments. Um, and I think that's pretty easy to conceptualize why that would be the case. I mean, if you win a national champ, we see this with actually with the LSU this year. Uh, in women's basketball, if you win a national championship the year before, you probably are not as motivated the next year to come so and win It spoils you a little. Right, yeah. right, because you've already done it. And now there are new players on the team, yeah, but there's two new players out of a roster of 10. Um, so, you know, 80% of your people have already been there, done that, and so I would think it's probably kind of easy um, to slack off in that sense. I will say I'm not overly concerned. I still think this is very much the so way a team that can get to the Final Four, that can win the national championship. I am not going to be concerned unless we get to two weeks from now, which is the next tournament, not this weekend, but the one after in Jonesboro, uh, Arkansas. If they get to that tournament and they still finish in like eighth, then I will be concerned. But, you know, right now they're in a period of having two weekends off from tournaments, have time to practice, have time to recoup, get together as a group. If it persists then, I you know, I'll be concerned. But this is still a roster that has enough talent to win a national championship. I think you could argue it's a more talented roster than it was last year, um, which is a wild statement considering – they lost the national player of the year over the offseason but like I think you I don't think it's unreasonable to characterize it as such
2: okay I mean yeah I by the way first Jace we love having you on for some bowling this is great there's not many other writers that can uh that can give us the bowling insight you have so this is awesome but um obviously you mentioned fatigue as an issue as to why things haven't really gone that well this spring season has there been anything else that's happening on this roster is it just you know, not being informed yet in the season? Or, or, like, what's the, other than fatigue, What what is the main main issues right now?
0: Yeah, I mean, as I said, it was like, you know, Shea Ralph after the women's basketball game, uh, two games ago against Ole Miss, came out and just said that the team wasn't tough. And that's honestly the exact same impression that I get from John Williamson, the bowling head coach, is that a lot of this is mental. Because, um, like I said, these are, once the award season rolls around, like, there's going to be several Americans on this team. I think that's just a given uh, Anytime time Vanderbilt rolls out a roster probably also at this point we'll have the conference like freshman of the year, which is called newcomer of the year bowling, but it's the freshman of the year award. Um Probably we'll have that as well. in Haley Lindley, like we have a lot of really good players on this team. It just has to gel together. And when you lose the national player of the year from last season and you lose somebody in Mel Caver who is, who is, I guess the bellow a chance of that team. You could almost say is the glue person. When you lose both of those at the same time, it is hard to replace, even though you only have to replace two people in theory.
1: Yeah. Jay. So, Really, really exciting. Thank you for telling us about bowling. So right now, the bowling team gets a bit of a breather, around a two-and-a-half-week breather, and they go to Arkansas, your home state, on yep. February 16th to play in the Midwinter Invitational. Before we go to anything but Vandy, just tell us, you think the commoners have a chance of, of winning this tournament?
0: Yeah, I, I definitely think they do. Uh, it's one that they – I believe they went there last year. They definitely haven't gone every year. That I've, This is my third year here, and they definitely haven't gone every year. But um, – but two weekends from now, I mean, they have a shot. So the last tournament was pretty unique in that it was only 12 teams. And like nine of those were in the top 10. So the last tournament was just like an insanely high count. Ca- it was basically like a final four. But if there were 12 instead of four teams, like that's that's the quality of the team we're talking about for the last tournament when they finish eighth. And the one before that was a super big field. This is kind of a return to normal where you have like 20 ish teams and you're going to have several that are ranked in the top 10. But it's not like all of the top 10 teams are there. And so I think this is an opportunity to kind of get back to a more at-ease, standard, typical format, piece things together. They definitely have a shot. I'm never going to count this team out to win a tournament. Um, I don't know that they're the betting favorite, but I I wouldn't count them out at all.
1: Let's talk about anything but
2: Vandy. Let's do it. Who wants to go first? I can go first. Um, That's the vibe I'm getting. But um, I would love to talk about I'm let's talk about Apple here. Have you guys seen these new Apple Vision goggles I that hate have it. come out? And no. I'm, you haven't seen these, Wolf? Oh my god. They're it. they're like VR glasses, but they're wireless, right? So you can just wear them everywhere. They're AR. And yeah, what, yeah, whatever that means. Oh, and these uh, are cool. And you wear them around, and I just I'm not sold on the whole VR AR thing. Like I'm not I don't look at this and I'm like I want that.
1: Like I'm I'm not Well, let's talk about pricing. How much w- would one of these cost? I think it's like 3500. Well, right, that's just so not practical.
2: Yeah, like why Why has Apple invented this? That's that's my first question. Second question is why would you ever wear
1: this or need this? Thing is we're talking about it, so they're successful in that. That's true. And then why would someone need it? I think a lot of the, the things, when you're pricing something at 3500 this is just for pleasure, probably some... Really spoiled kid out there is getting it for Christmas. <laughs> yeah, that's a lucky kid. But like
0: it's a it's a first version. Like this is the first augmented reality headset that Apple sold. Like when they sold the iPhone for the first time, people thought it was pretty stupid. Like you can go read news reports, and people thought they were dumb for it. The same could be said to the iPod, and now obviously we look back now where our phones are also iPods, and it's like why the hell did we ever do that? Um, I don't like I I dislike it because of what it pretends for a future in which we're all walking around and instead of glued to our screens, we have. Headsets glued to our literal heads. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't like it from that perspective, but like I don't like it because I think it's useful and thus is scary.
1: Okay. Fair. I second that.
0: My only thing about Vandy is that this is NBA trade deadline week. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, your team has the remainder of this week to sell off its assets and accumulate them for this year's playoffs or to blow it all up like the Raptors did. Um, yeah, you, you have one week, uh, my Grizzlies decided to trade Steven Adams. Uh, I saw that trade as I was, I remember I was I was walking somewhere and I forget exactly where it was, but I remember looking down at my phone and I see Memphis Grizzlies have traded Steven Adams for Victor and then it stops. And there was this half a second where my heart thought it was Victor when Bignano. Yeah, I saw your tweet on that. And I was like... <laughs> And then it's Victor Oladipo who will never step foot in Memphis because he's hurt <laughs> for the remainder of the year. As his and Stephen he'll Adams. be bought out, right? Yeah, he's not. He's going to be. I don't even know if he's bought because he's just not going to play. Like he's he's fully hurt well, for the remainder his of the contract. Over, I think it's into this year, so it doesn't really even matter anyway. He's not going to play. The Grizzlies aren't he's trying. Thirty-one for years old, yeah, Oladipo. too. Look, I don't understand why the Grizzlies do this. I, I, I don't get why the Grizzlies do this now when Stephen Adams is at his lowest trade value and when we have nothing to play for this season. We accumulate assets. To get flexible and get towards another move we're gonna still have to get another center because brandon clark is not a full-time starting five and jaron jackson is clearly not a full-time starting five i just i don't get it for so many reasons except the reason that i have been told that that makes a terrible amount of sense is that it puts them lower below the luxury tax threshold which from the perspective of an owner is really good so uh screw
1: ownership the thing is, you have Ja Moran. It's not like you're you should be tanking. You should be building. For no, something. but he's
0: hurt the rest of the year. Also, no, I, I got I got that my for, jaws for on for next today. season. That's awesome. I, like I love that. This is The Jaw Day ones. Jace says some really Blow. cool,
1: elegant socks. I don't know what shapes are. Those on are fish. What sure. are this those? This
0: was my like third to last girlfriend's favorite socks I I owned. Uh, okay. fish. You got well, the lion. Hopefully, the she's listening. Tang. That'd be good yeah, for you. Yeah, exactly. The clownfish. That's kind of how I am, clownfish. But uh, Jay, yeah, Wolf, what's your what's your thing with Vanny?
1: Oh yeah, my anything but vanity. My anything but Vandy is – okay. My anything but Vandy is just going to – I'm just talking about the Super Bowl. Okay. I think it's crazy that people are betting on the 49ers. Patrick Mahomes has been um, underdog all playoffs, and it's still Patrick Mahomes. And I'd rather bet bet on him over a, a Brock Purdy, Purdy rookie, rookie contract quarterback. I know he has a better defense. I know he has better weapons. But it's still Mahomes and Andy Reid versus Shanahan, and that, that's where I see them kind of – Propelling themselves for Mahomes to get his third Super Bowl. I'm not gonna lie,
2: I'm gonna be cheering for the 49ers this weekend. That's I've just, fair. That's fair. I, I've heard too much about the Chiefs coming off the Super Bowl last year too, and then winning it. I'm just kind of like over them. Um, my Panthers had an awful season, so I've not been very <laughs> invested, but we won't talk about that. Um, but hey, who do you want them to draft? Oh wait, oh wait, That's we crazy. lost, we <laughs> lost that pick. Oh wait, <laughs> oh, oh wait. Love. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna root for the 49ers.
1: Um. I've seen too much Taylor Swift on on TV, so <laughs> it actually doesn't bother me. I think people aren't understanding that Taylor Swift brings a new segmentation of NFL fans that would never be yes, there. Yeah, that's right? true. And also, it's just it's a good way for NFL to be immersed in culture. Like you look at the NBA, it's so immersed within hip hop culture. People always looked at football as like, oh, they're wearing helmets and the players aren't really like. There's no sense of identity with these players. It's an ownership league and. Really feels like the NFL is becoming more a players league after seeing like how important Travis Kelsey and, and Taylor Swift's dynamic is. So I, I kind of have a different take than the average person.
0: I I actually agree with your take. I, it does. It brings a new segment of people who, who otherwise would not watch the NFL to watch the NFL. And I don't think sports is something that we should just like restrict to certain segments of the population. So I do like that it's doing that. But I also think it's really fun to complain about. Yeah, that's and fair. So I'm going to keep complaining about it. So fair. I complaining wish this wasn't about like the Super Bowl when when it's a touchdown a and Niners. looking at Taylor Swift. That's no, annoying. I, I just I like the uh, the three year Letterman tweets about all this stuff. I think those are just excellent content. What's that? You haven't. I'll, I'll show you after. Okay.
1: Um
2: so my my all time favorite Jace line was like when you're on the podcast last semester, you said you're you're a top one hundred hater, and I was like, yeah. that's an all time line from Jace. Um, I just yeah, I thought that was really funny and uh and I feel like you're hating on the Taylor Swift chain now, so it's like yeah, that kind of aligns with your your vibe, I feel uh, like. Maybe
0: you have mellowed out, maybe I'm getting in my old age and I'm just like maybe I just don't care anymore.
1: Let's let's do let's do hot takes, talk about Vandy yeah. hot takes really, let's really do it. quickly. For everyone still listening, we thank you. We will be out of here shortly, but we are on tangents. We're talking about Vandy hot takes, Vanderbilt basketball, Vanderbilt men's basketball will not win another SEC game. I am so confident against of it, and I am the biggest supporter of getting a new coach at the end of the year. If you haven't seen from, you know, my tweets and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay,
2: so I'm gonna bring some sophomore <laughs> optimism into the podcast good, to you today. Good, we need optimism. Exactly. I'm gonna say we upset Kentucky tonight after the Missouri win. On Saturday, I'm feeling actually better than I did a week ago. I was like, wow. okay, this team has won a game. This is definitely going to come back to bite me. But I'm going to say the doors upset the Wildcats tonight in Memorial Gym. I, I'm
0: i going to give it an even hotter take. <sighs> Women's basketball will not lose again for the rest of the regular season. Oh, my goodness. Here's the basis Whoa. of my take. <laughs> Four straight losses. Shay Ralph is pissed. I think her players are pissed. Some of her players are also getting better. There's changes that can be made to the starting lineup. I would not be surprised to see Camille Pierre in the starting lineup at some point in the near future, multiple-time freshman of the week in the SEC, has played really well, gives them size to the can balance. Because as you noted earlier, like 20 minutes ago before we started all these tangents, Sasha Washington is just not tall enough in a lot of these SEC matchups. You put Pierre in there, which is what they usually start doing around like midway point of the second quarter, and it works a lot
1: better. Um because it adds two players above six feet.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, well, Passat like, is above six feet, six, and they've had and her play. They've had her play a little bit more inside recently, but that's not her game, right? Like she is, she is a wing. Maybe we see Camille Pierre in the starting lineup. Maybe we see more Makarat minutes. I think Shea Ralph will look at the tape and reflect on the Bella Lachance fiasco that has occurred. And I look at it. I would favor us in every single game except LSU and Tennessee. Tennessee will now be at home. If they beat LSU and carry the momentum into Tennessee, you're telling me Justine Passat is going to lose to her former team at home? Not happening. (laughs) So if they beat LSU,
1: they're winning out.
0: Tournament, here they come. Wow. That's bold. There are some tough
2: games left on their schedule. I'm around some bold
1: takers. I'm really, really impressed with our bold takes. Hopefully your two hot takes end up being true, and hopefully I'm the wrong one. Giving yeah. you all. We
0: want Will Wade. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I want Will Wade.
2: We've discussed this on the pod before. We don't think Will, or I don't think Will Wade's the Vanderbilt man. Vanderbilt needs job, to start cheating
0: in, in sports see. if it wants to win. Jace, thank Hot you take. so
1: much for joining today. And uh, thank you all for listening.